Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. And it reads, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, whom by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it, shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the, the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they, they knew God and they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. I have read to you Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. May the Lord bless the hearers, readers, and doers of thy word. Good morning and welcome. We're so glad that you're here today. If you're visiting, we're so glad that you're with us. We want to encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. I did see Gene Higdon a minute ago, and I see him over here to my left. It's so good to see Gene. First time he's been here in a couple of months after having suffered a stroke, and he looks good. And we're glad that he's here and hope, hopefully and prayerfully is continuing to improve. But we're glad that he's here with us today. And we're glad you're here. And we want to wish all of our young folks a safe and happy week. I know this is camp week, and so a lot of excitement around going to camp, and hopefully and prayerfully, it will be a very productive week for you. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 beginning down through the end of the chapter. Today we're going to be talking about the sad state of unbelieving people. We live in an era that in many respects saddens me because there are so many people that live in unbelief. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, in a very vivid and forthright way, talks about the Gentile world. And really, if you didn't know any better, you would think that you were reading about contemporary man. Because what is said in Romans chapter 1 reflects the hearts and lives of so many people today. So I want to call attention to Romans chapter 1 in our study today as we think about the sad state of unbelieving people. And really, I guess we could say the sad state of unbelieving people among an unbelieving world, because the world, by and large, lives in unbelief. I want to begin our study by, first of all, calling attention to what I would call the strict repudiation of an unbelieving people. I want to call attention to verses 18 through 20. Read with me if you would. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhood, or divine nature, 
so that they are without excuse. Think about, if you would, for a moment or two, the evidence that we have for God. I know that there are a lot of people in our world today that in just a matter of minutes will wave off the concept of God. But really, when you begin to look at the world around us and the Scriptures, the conclusion is there is ample evidence for an eternal God. I want to begin by very quickly sharing with you the revelation of God's truth. I want to ask this question, how can we know without a shadow of a doubt that there is a God? There are two ways. First, we have visible creation, don't we? In other words, we can look around and we see evidence for God. Paul, of course, appeals to that in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. You can look at the world in which we live, and it is a fact. Design demands a designer. The Hebrew writer said, Every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God, in Hebrews chapter 3, at verse 4. The psalmist, centuries ago, and I think about David pinning Psalm 19.1, David as a shepherd had the opportunity to reflect upon the handiwork of God day in and day out. And he said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. And so there is evidence for God on the basis of what? Creation. But then you think about verbal revelation. That is, we can know that there is a God, number one, by creation, number two, by revelation. There are a lot of things that I can learn about God by looking at creation, one of which is His power. His eternal power, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 1. God had the ability to speak the world into existence, didn't He? And there are so many things that we can reflect upon with regard to that kind of power. But the only way that we can know the mind of God, the character of God, the nature of God, is by revelation. And so God has given us insight into His nature through this book that we call the Bible. And so there are a lot of scriptures that talk about the character and nature of God. With regard to revelation, I know that there are a lot of people in our world today that would tell you that this book is the product of man and that it is simply something that originated in the minds of men. Hard for me to understand how you could take a collection of 66 books and begin sifting through these various books and see that there is a united theme. There is what we would call the unity of Scripture, isn't there? And the Old Testament and the New Testament, they interlink. There is a common thread running through both covenants or both testaments. The Old Testament is simply projecting that time when the Messiah will come. The New Testament is a confirmation that the Messiah, the Anointed One, Jesus, has indeed come. Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 talks about how God gave him revelation. 
And he said he took that revelation and wrote it down in human words. He said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. You remember Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture, every scripture is inspired of God. Peter said no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but he said holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In other words, as they were born along by the Holy Spirit. This is the God-breathed book that we call the Bible. So can I know about the character of God, the will of God? Can I come to a better understanding of where I have come from through the Bible? Yes. Can I come to appreciate my purpose in life? Again, the answer is yes. What about my destiny? Again, the answer would be yes. Now, Paul here is talking about the revelation of God's truth, evidenced by creation and revelation. But then there is what I would call the resistance to God's truth. Listen again, if you would, to verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress, some translations say, who hold down the truth and unrighteousness. Some might say they smother the truth. Is it not a fact that there are a lot of people in the world today that do not like what the Bible has to say? Sure. Are there people in our world today that would suppress it, that would smother it out, that would hold it down? Well, the answer would be yes. And so, sometimes people choose to live a life outside the mainstream of Scripture. That is, they abdicate the will of God and the Word of God from their lives. I want you to think about that for a minute and consider with me in the second place the superficial education of an unbelieving people. And I want to begin by first of all talking about the people that Paul is writing about here. They were indifferent to God. I mentioned a moment ago the evidence that we have for God. And you look at the evidence and it is overwhelming. I want you to see something here very quickly. We talk about people being indifferent to God. So listen again to what Paul writes in verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. In other words, it is evident among them. Since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and Godhead. Now let me just pause there for a minute. Many of us watch television programs that are built around crime scenes. It's interesting to me that when a crime occurs, the police will go to a particular location where the crime was committed, and they will rope that area off. And what are they looking for? They're looking for evidence, aren't they? They're looking for a handprint a fingerprint, a footprint, some type of DNA evidence, aren't they? 
whether it be a hair, drop of blood, whatever. But they're looking for evidence. So here's the question. Is there evidence for God? The answer is yes. Has God not left His handprint, His fingerprint, His footprint around the globe? Yes. In Acts chapter 14, we read of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. And they are in the city of Lystra. Paul and Barnabas point out that it was God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all things that are therein. And here's what he said in that context. God has not left Himself without witness. Now think about that for a minute. God has not left Himself without witness. He said He gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. I was reading earlier about the work of a man by the name of Louis Pasteur. Some of you remember back in your school days, some of you who are in school, you're acquainted with his work, aren't you? The fact that he is considered the pioneer of pasteurization. He also had a lot to do with vaccinations. Well, when you begin looking at the work of Pasteur, one of the things that he concluded is that life does not originate from non-life. Scientists would call that biogenesis. And the idea is that life does not emerge out of a non-living entity. So think about it. We're talking about the evidence for God. We could take this podium right here, and we could put it in a room and lock the door, and we could wait 50 years, and there would never be life that would germinate from this, book, from this pulpit, would it? You could take a collection of rocks, and you could put those rocks in a safe place, and you could leave them for 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, 500 years. There would never be life resulting from those rocks, would there? Life begets what? Life. Now you think about the world in which we live and how many people in our world today want to write God off. And they want to talk about how we are the products of some spontaneous explosion, cataclysmic explosion. Or we are the products of evolution. Let me tell you what, that doesn't even begin to make sense. Not at all. So do we have evidence? Yes. But some people are indifferent to the evidence before them. Why? Because they don't want to believe truth. I can assure you it takes a lot more faith to buy into the theory of evolution than it ever will to buy into what is recorded in the, in the Bible. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the creator. So you think about people that were indifferent to God and then Link to that the fact that there are many who are ignorant about God. Look at verse 22. In verse 22, Paul said, speaking of the Gentile world, professing to be wise, he said, they became fools. It's amazing to me the number of individuals in our world today 
that occupy positions in very prestigious universities all across our land. Many of those individuals have what we would call a terminal degree. They have a Ph.D. Some have a Ph.D. and an M.D. And they know the human body inside out. They're trained, they're knowledgeable, and yet they reject the evidence, don't they? We would say they're scholarly, they're knowledgeable in their field, but as Paul said, they profess to be wise, but he said they're foolish. Why is that? Because the psalmist said the fool has said in his heart there is no God. I don't care if you have a Ph.D., an M.D., or whatever. If you take the evidence and you begin sifting the evidence, and you look at the evidence in a, in a very clear-cut, honest manner, the conclusion is there's a God. Some people want to write God out of their lives. They want to write His book out of their lives. As a result of that, what happens? They become unbelieving people. And we live in an unbelieving world. And then, note if you would, their idolatry before God. Look at verse 23. Paul said, They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Look at verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. It's hard to believe that when Paul penned these words, idolatry was rampant in the first century, and we look back and we think about the idolatry that existed among the Roman Empire. You can look at other civilizations, other empires, and you'll see that idolatry was well known among them too, the Egyptians and others. Well, what's the point? The point is when people ignore the evidence of God, and turn a blind eye to truth, they replace one God with another God. That is, they invent their own gods, don't they? John, in writing in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, said, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Is it not the case that in modern-day America we have people that are bowing at the altar of materialism and money? Are there not people that are bowing at the altar of pleasure and gratification are there not people today that are so consumed with self? Let me tell you what, we are reaping the byproducts of a society of hedonism and humanism. And the idea is, we can be God. It's all about us. And so, sadly, the superficial education of unbelieving people. Now, thirdly, note if you would the shameful degradation of unbelieving people. I want you to look, if you would, at verse 24. When people choose to leave God out of their lives, there are some natural consequences that follow. First, there would be what I might call sexual perversion. And then secondly, there is social perversion. So note verse 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use of what, for what is against nature. 
Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was, which was due. Let me just pause there for a minute. The America that I grew up in as a child is no more. And there's so many changes that have taken place in the last 25 or 30 years, it's incredible. One of the problems we have today is gender confusion. And really when we talk about homosexuality, we need to understand that it is it's fornication. And people in our day and time, sadly, see nothing wrong with fornication, whether it be among homosexuals or heterosexuals. I've been working on a paper recently. I was asked to write a paper on adultery and fornication. So I began to research that topic. Did you know that in the last five decades, cohabitation in our country, that is without the benefits of marriage, has increased 900%? Now you think about that. Did you know that many people who profess to be Christians, quote unquote, among young people, no longer believe that it is wrong to cohabitate without the benefits of marriage. Do you know that? You see, sexual anarchy is a problem in our country today. In the 1960s, as a matter of fact, in 1965, we had the advent of free love. It originated in San Francisco, California. You had the hippie generation, free love, do what you want to do. And you look at how things have dovetailed since then. So we're living in a day and time when people from a sexual vantage point no longer respect the ideals of what the Bible has to say. When people choose to exclude God from their lives, what happens? Erosion. We are paying the price in our country for saying that we do not need God in our classrooms, in our homes, in our judicial system, in our government. And let me tell you what, it is a heavy price we're paying. Now, sexually, that's just one problem, but what about socially? Let me just read for you very quickly. Pick up with me if you would. Verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God and their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And by the way, three times in this context, the Bible talks about God giving up on these people. God gave them up. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. He said they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Could I simply say this? Do you know why we have such anarchy in our country today? Do you know why we have people that are cohabitating outside the boundaries of marriage? 
Do you know why when you read this passage right here, it's as if you're reading the latest copy of the Commercial Appeal of the New York Times? Do you know why? It's because we have said, we have concluded in this country, and it starts all the way at the top, we have concluded that we do not need God and we do not need His Word. You agree? That's what we've concluded. We've said we don't need God. And you look at the mayhem. You remember in Hosea chapter 4? Hosea writing to a covenant people. He said there's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Hard to believe. Among the very people of God, they didn't even know what the Scriptures said. And so he said, as a result of that, here's what we have. He said, we have swearing, lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery. He said, they break all restraint with bloodshed after bloodshed. Now you tell me, is that not a commentary on 21st century man? Is that not a commentary on modern day America? Yes, it is. You can build more prisons. You can develop better social programs. But until we understand that God's word and God's ways are the only ways, we're headed for trouble. Hosea said, they've sown to the wind and they will reap the whirlwind. We are reaping the whirlwind of unbelief in our nation, in our world. Let me tell you what, that's a sad time. The sad state of unbelieving people, the sad state of an unbelieving world. Hosea in Hosea chapter 8 verse 12, here's what he said, I have given to them the great things of my law. In other words, God's law is designed to be good. It's designed to be beneficial. It is intended to bless our lives, isn't it? Well, let me tell you what. When you close this book and you say you don't need truth, you're headed for trouble. So Hosea said, I've given unto them the great things of my law. Now listen to what he says. But they were counted as a strange thing. When you live in a day and time, that you have to tell people, look, God places an emphasis on the sanctity of life. When you have to tell people, look, this belongs to me, you can't steal this, there is a real problem. When you have to try to protect that unborn baby in the womb and tell people, look, that is a human soul, there's a problem. There's a problem. So what's the answer? We've got to return to this book, don't we? That's the answer. That's the only answer. Listen to what Paul said, Romans chapter 1. He prefaces everything that he says about the Gentile world. Chapter 2, he's going to talk about the Jewish world and how they're under sin. Listen to him, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. You know what Paul was saying? The gospel. The gospel has the power to change the hearts and lives of people. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're a Greek, doesn't matter. God's Word can change your life. You know what we need to do? We need to lead the charge. Calling on men and women in our world today to go back to the Bible. That's what we need to do. The beauty is... As Jesus said, the fields are white to harvest. I really believe that there are people in our country today, in our world today, that given the opportunity to study the Bible, to realize there's a better way, there's a better plan, 
I really believe that they would, they would honor it. And they would become New Testament Christians. And if you want to change the landscape of the community, the country, it all starts right here with God's Word. So, it's really sad when you look around in our world. But the beauty of the gospel is, it is good news, isn't it? That's the, go the good news of the gospel. So if you're here today and you need to become a Christian because you've never obeyed the gospel, look, this is your golden hour. You have the opportunity today to become a child of God. What would you need to do? Believe Jesus to be the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess His name before others, Matthew 10, 32. Be immersed so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. And then be faithful. If you're here and you're a Christian and your life's not what it ought to be and you want the prayers of the church, look, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you and God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.